0: Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. So if you'd like to open your Bibles or follow on the screen uh, in front of you, we are reading from James 2 and we're reading from verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there, or else sit on the floor. Well, does this discrimination show that your judgment are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal laws found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the law except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but you do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Amen.
1: So um, if it's your first week, I should tell you um, that we're continuing a series, doing a series in our church uh, called Love Your Church, and it's based on a book by Tony Merida, and it's uh, eight sessions all about what it means to be uh, a good, healthy church. And after 18 months of COVID, we want to be a healthy church. We want to be a church growing together, not growing apart. A church that's moving towards what God calls us to and not the world. And following his principles and his commands, his laws. We want to be a church that reflects the very character and nature of God. And this course is helping us be challenged about what it means to be the people of God. Because it's easy to believe the right things, isn't it? You can say, oh yes, he or she knows their stuff. Maybe you aren't miserable. I was so and so at the same time, can't you? And the worst sort of Christian are those who know their stuff but don't know how they're supposed to behave in relation to it. And so this course is a good challenge for us—not just to know our stuff, but to live that out in a Christ-like way in our world. Are you in a Connect group this morning? Are you not in a Connect group this morning? Um, I encourage you to be one. Our dream, our hope is that everybody. Or be in a connect group and go through this course together almost every single night there is a group that you could join you can speak to Andrea the connect group coordinator she has a very hard job of making sure groups don't get too big and kind of spill out and that kind of thing uh, there's also a new one on Saturday mornings which for those who don't mind getting up at 10 or before 10 don't come in your pajamas um, then they can come around to my house and spend quality time with me and Andrea and who wouldn't want to do that okay none of you apparently never mind But if you're not in one, um, please don't let this pass you by. Because we believe that this is of God, what we're doing. We believe it's important for us to do it as a church. And we think to not join a connect group um, uh, will be a real shame. So, Judy's read to us uh, James chapter 2. We're only going to go on to verse 11 this morning. And the teaching in James chapter 2 about... Uh, favoritism in the local church and treating people differently by, based on how they look or how they sound or how they behave um, is a familiar passage. Anyone that has read the New Testament read the book of James will know the story or the analogy I should say of uh, the poor man that comes in that's told sit over there you know and will know the story of the rich man that comes in who says please have the best seat in the house. And, uh, and you'll know that story. It's a familiar story to us. You've only got to be a Christian for 10 minutes uh, to probably know that particular part of James. James is a wonderful book, very practical. It's very easy to take the theology you know and then look at the book of James and know how to apply it and live it out. And it's a great book for that. So you must read, You should read it when you get a chance. It's familiar teaching, but it still remains necessary. It's 2,000 years old, the bit that we read. All about bits of our bits are. 2,000 plus years old but 2,000 years old this teaching that Judy read to us and yet it's it's as much needed today as it was 2,000 years ago in the first century why? because society does one thing really well labels people you were labeled from the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb society began to label you you're from this country you're this culture you're this creed this heritage this gender whatever it may be we had labels before we even knew how to stand up And the problem is that the more you go through life, you then amass your own labels, don't you? You think, oh, join that group, or or that philosophy, or that thing, and then we gather our own labels. And in the end, we've got more labels than we know what to do with. So society is constantly labeling us, even though it says we should live in this utopian dream where everyone is just equal and no one has a label. There's never been more labels in any time in human history, in my humble opinion and so it's extremely hard for human beings not to judge each other by the world's thinking because we look at a certain type a kind of haircut or the way someone dresses and we think oh they're that kind of person it's easy to do it because we're conditioned to see people according to society's labels but as Christians we have to fight that urge we have to fight that reality that is constantly assaulting us from our society we must always fight the the desire to click at church not click but clique or clique sorry clique judge me if you want um for my lack of uh, English language but we must resist the desire to clique because the church is an embassy of the kingdom of God so within these four walls as we said last week within this family this should be the one place where everybody gets to belong and everybody gets to drop their label at the front door and just be who God intended them to be and discover more about what God intended for their lives so um if you have the, the Bible open, which if you're a Christian, you should. Um, James chapter 2 and uh, verses 1 to 11. And, uh, and it's a very clear argument. James is very, uh, very practical. He's very straight to the point. And in verse 1, he just states the truth. He just states this is what he's all about in James chapter 2, verse 1. He says it, says it as it is. Uh, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. There's no finer point on it. He doesn't flower it up. He doesn't give any excuses. He just says, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't show favoritism. It's as simple as that. You'll remember, for those of you that are in a connect group, that that word for favoritism can mean partiality or prejudice or discrimination. Just in case we kind of take a very high-level view, well, I haven't got a favorite. But do you show partiality? Do you show prejudice at church? Have you ever discriminated against anyone? The word literally means to receive someone's face. So someone walks in and you take one look at them and you think, oh, I understand everything about them. Of course you don't, because you're not God. He understands everything about them. In other words, you judge by what you see, not what you know. Ever done that? Ever done it at church? Have you ever had it done to you? It's interesting listening to people's various responses to this because a lot of us who haven't had it happen to us. Think it's not a problem in the local church, but if you've had it happen to you you'll realize that actually it isn't a good thing when someone passes judgment or his partiality or prejudice towards you. I remember once it did happen to me, not in a church but in a driving test center. Four hundred years ago, when I was seventeen years old, I went for my driving test and I went to, over in Ilford. And then I walked into the driving test center, and I didn't know what I was doing really at all at that age. And I remember walking into the examiner's office without knocking, so I just thought it was the reception or another room. I didn't know. And I was a bit stupid. And I just opened the door and walked in. There he was at his big oak desk. I don't know why. He's only a driving instructor. Um, but it was a long time. It was a different, different time. Everything was oak back in the, uh, in the 90s. But, and I said to him, I was doing my test And he looked at me, and I could just see, he looked me up and down like that, and I could see he's thinking, young bloke, must make sure I fail him. And guess what? He failed me. Nothing to do with my driving. Although I did stop at one point and say to the bloke, the the examiner, what do I do next? (laughs) Which you shouldn't do. Anyway, you shouldn't do that. Anyway, so this is his point. Just, if you're a Christian, you cannot show favoritism. It's as simple as that. Verses 2 to 3, he then gives that example that we've just had read to us of what might happen in a church. That place of honor for the rich person is the front. You come down the front, sit at the front where everybody can see you. You poor people, you don't even get to sit down. You're just shoved over there, probably the back. And then when they do get to sit down, what does the person say at church? Sit at my feet. Who sits at the feet of people in the Bible? Servants. So that poor person who comes to find Jesus Christ and everlasting life and hope and joy, when they come in, they're told, sit down and exist with the label society's already put on top of you. But you rich person, you're the ones we want. You're the ones God wants. How bad is that? And then in verses 4 to 11, he gives four reasons why Christians should not show favoritism. um, Rather than just, uh, because it's very easy to say, why shouldn't we show favoritism? Because it's not nice. But that's very childish, and we're not a bit more refined than that. But it's a very childish way of saying it. It's not a nice thing to do, but there's more to it than that. And there are four reasons that James gives us from chapter 4, no, from verse 4 to verse 11. The first reason to not show favoritism is actually it poisons the person that shows it. So verse 4 says this. Have you, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil, evil thoughts? Evil thoughts. That would have been quite blunt. That would have been quite hard to hear, I suspect, a Christian in the first century. They're telling me that I'm evil just because I feel more comfortable with that person and not that person. That's okay. That's my choice. Surely, surely I shouldn't be uncomfortable. Yes, you should be uncomfortable. Christians should always be uncomfortable because we're following a God who has high expectations of us. But he's saying there that when you show judgment or partiality and you discriminate, actually you are poisoned. Uh, And that sin poisons you as much as it hurts them. And we often don't think of that. We think of what our actions do to the person. But actually it changes and poisons us. And there's more to this as well. He talks about those evil thoughts. And in Greek, the word thoughts can mean opinion or reasoning or conclusion. And I hope I say this uh, clearly. But it occurs to me that when we sin in that kind of up here part place, where we come up with an opinion about something, and we think, well, that's wrong and that's right, but we then construct a whole logical framework to place that opinion in, don't we? We say, well, I can't stand that thing. And rather than ask, is that a sin to think that or not? We construct a whole complicated argument around it to prove that we're right to hold that sinful opinion. Maybe an organisation does something we don't like. Rather than ask if we've got the wrong heart, we construct a whole argument why we're right and they're all wrong. Or maybe a person upsets you and you say, well, I hate them. But you construct a whole philosophy why it's all right in this case to hate that person. And it's wrong. It leads to wrong thoughts, wrong reasoning, and wrong conclusions. And if you're having wrong conclusions and wrong thoughts, I urge you not to construct a reason why you're right, but to deconstruct the reason why you think you're right, and ask biblically if you're right. And even if you're right, are you expressing it in a grace-filled way? Second reason why we shouldn't show favoritism is it opposes the kingdom of God purposes. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? The challenge here is quite gentle. Brothers and sisters, in a different version, he says, my beloved, there's a love for James for these people. He's saying to them, what are you doing? You're getting it so wrong. You're not living God's way. God is building a world where the weak are strong and the lost are found. And it's upside down. The world does it wrong. It loves elitism. And Christianity turns it upside down and puts the marginalized at the bottom of the pyramid, which is now the top of the pyramid. That's why everybody is safe and everybody is welcome. Many of us are nothing in the world's eyes. I'm not. But within the church, we found value and respect and love because God offers us something the world and a career never can. Or a thousand million followers on Instagram. Never ever can. Because it's based on God's love for you. And he says when they come in and you you show favoritism, you take that wonderful new reality, that wonderful way of living, and you just chuck it out the window. And it's wrong and you can't do it. Don't do it. Favoritism opposes the purposes of God. Verses 6 to 7, we shouldn't show favoritism, James says, because it's worldly. It's worldly. I like this piece, He says, but you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? The name of Jesus Christ. There's a touch of exasperation from James. He looks at these Christians who claim to follow Christ. and like, well, What are you doing? You claim to follow Jesus and you're acting exactly as the world does. Outside the walls of your church it's as if he's saying the rich are always oppressing the poor there was a social polarization in the first century rich merchants and landowners would use the court system to rob the poor blind so shouldn't the church be the one place where the poor feel valued and safe and james says you're mucking it up don't act like them the rich are the ones who oppress you so don't honor them in the way the world calls you to honor them honor the way god would James will return to this topic later on in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. But it's even more than that. The actions of the rich outside the church blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. Their actions blaspheme Jesus. So why would you replicate what happens out there that blasphemes Jesus? Why would you replicate it in here, within the church community? And then number 4, verses 8 to 11, which I won't read. um, It says, you break the law. Favoritism breaks the law of God. As I said last week, when we all became Christians, we promised God we'd follow his ways. We'd follow his laws. And actually, the Bible is very clear. If you break one bit of God's law, it's like you've broken all of it. It's not like you can say, well, favoritism is not as bad as murder. James makes that point very clearly. It doesn't matter what you break. You're still guilty of breaking the royal law of God. So therefore, if you show favoritism, you must ask forgiveness from the King of Kings for sharing it in the first place. And so one final thought. Um, I wonder why you think the tone the tone of this, As when I read it this week, it occurred to me James is quite strong. This is quite strong, really, what he's saying. He's given those four points, and they're quite to the, a cut to the heart. And you think, oh, I don't want to think about this because I don't show favoritism. But why is James being so strong? One of the problems with New Testament letters is it's like one half of a conversation. You don't get to know necessarily the other half of it. And we don't know what's been said to this particular group of Christians. Maybe they've been challenged about showing favoritism, the treatment of the poor. And maybe, just maybe, and this is just my thoughts, maybe when they were challenged about it, they excused it. Maybe they said, it's not that big a deal. We don't do it all the time. And do you know what? It was a bit weird, that poor bloke that came in. So it's right that we put him over there because you had to keep everybody else safe. Maybe they excused their sin rather than were challenged by it. And isn't that what we all do, one way or another, every single day? I wonder how many times this week, or in the last couple of weeks with our new course, all of us have genuinely reflected on our behavior with each other on a Sunday morning. Have we simply washed off this week's topic about favoritism as somebody else's problem in another church in a galaxy far, far away? But how do we show prejudice? We might show it, we might judge someone according to what they wear or how they look. We might judge them according to how much money they've got or how little money they've got. We might judge them by their skin color, their background, their accent, their age, their affiliation, their ancestry, their achievements or perceived lack of. It's so easy to excuse the sin that comes so easily for us to commit. It's easy to redefine the challenges of Scripture when they're hard to bear. But when you became a Christian, that's what you signed up for. So with that in mind, are you taking and am I taking the challenge of this course to heart? God is calling us to be radical in this church, to be a radical community that lives different lives, and it is extremely painful, and it is extremely costly, and many people are simply not up for it. And I've got one observation which I'm umdenard about saying, but I'll just say it anyway because you're over there, I'm here, and, and you can't judge me for saying it now after the last 20 minutes. But this week and last week, we talked about two topics, favoritism and sharing and let me just ask an honest question you have please don't answer it Um, with the favouritism one how many of us just took a very high level view of what it actually means to have a favourite kept it in the kind of stark rich poor example James gives and how many of us actually sat back and said do I judge people by how they look or how they sound how many of us actually took that challenge to heart and how many of you are sitting in a different place this morning having had that this week in a connect group. I'm sorry to be blunt. And the other one, and this is why I wasn't sure if I should say this either, last week we talked about sharing. And Acts chapter 2, what did they share with each other? Because a lot of the comments that we we shared amongst ourselves was things like they shared their time, their energy, their love and their care. And those are all good things that we should always share. But Acts chapter 2 isn't about any of that. It's about the sharing of material goods and money and money and property, and selling so that someone in the church who has nothing could have more? How many of us, in reality, went home and looked at our bank balance, and looked at our property portfolios, looked at our pensions, and thought, Lord, here's all of it. What do you want me to do with some of that? Or did we say, let's think about giving our time? I say that, and I include myself in it. Let me end with a story about why favoritism is a terrible idea. Ready? In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote that during his student days, he read the Gospels seriously and considered converting to Christianity. He believed that in the teachings of Jesus, he could find the solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. So one Sunday, he decided to attend attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered the sanctuary, however, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go worship with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. If Christians have caste differences also, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu. That usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but also turned a person away from trusting him as their Savior. May that never be the case in this church. Should pray. let's just take a second we've got a bit of time let's just take a moment and just think of all that's been said it's challenging but God wants us to be refined he wants to chip away the sharp bits and just in that moment think of all that we've said in the last couple of weeks and particularly today and just ask that question do I show prejudice do I show partiality do I discriminate even if it's on a low level or do I truly welcome everyone as God does just take a moment Father God, we want to thank you that, Lord, we can come around your word and be challenged, Father God. You want to challenge us. You want us to come back from COVID stronger, I believe, more unified, more purposeful. Lord, change the culture, even within, in this church, Father God. It's hard to say where we've gone wrong, but, Lord, we must say where we've gone wrong. We must acknowledge our own sin, Lord. We must acknowledge where things don't go well. Put them before you and ask all for wisdom and grace. So, Lord, we ask for wisdom and grace in this church. May this always be a place, Lord, where people understand who they are in Christ and we walk with them as they discover what that means for them. May we never, Lord, label people according to a sinful, broken world's model. And may we never mirror what happens outside the church in it. May this always be a place, Lord, where people are honoured, not for what they've got, but, Lord, because they're made in the image of God. I lift all this to you now in Jesus' name.